everybody. Glad you're here. I'm, uh, oh, we're going to applaud. Let's do that. Let's welcome everybody. If you're joining us online or sister campuses, we're glad you're here for seven or seven churches of Revelation. Very excited for this series. For the next seven weeks, we're going to be journeying through Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible to see what Jesus has to say to Christians who are living in the end times. And this is a very relevant series, um, and our whole church is going to be journeying for seven weeks together. We have hundreds of small groups joining us uh, all across the state, so really excited to jump in. Now, to set the stage, you'll notice I have a big old mailbox uh, over here with me today, and that's because seven is really about the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches of Revelation. Uh, a few weeks ago, I gave you a little introduction to Revelation chapter 1, in which um, John, who is the, the apostle John this is, uh, he was on the island in the Aegean Sea called, anyone remember? Patmos. Yeah, he's 90 years old. He's an old man at this point, but he was sentenced to this island. It was a prison island, so he's going to spend the rest of his life breaking rocks on the island of Patmos. What was John's crime? Here's what it says. I, John, was on the island of Patmos, because of the word of God and the what? Say this together. Testimony of Jesus. So John's being persecuted because he's preaching the word of God. He's telling people about Jesus Christ. He's the last living apostle at this point. Everybody else is dead. They're all martyred. And one Sunday, John is on the island of Patmos and he receives this stunning revelation. Re revelation just means to reveal or unveil something you've never seen before. And that is Jesus Christ appears to him, resurrected, exalted, glorified, and it's overwhelming. John writes this, he says, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches. Let's try to say them together. Ready? To Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so he hears that, that voice, he turns around and realizes, Oh, it's Jesus speaking, who says, go ahead, John, I want you to write this down. I want you to write seven letters that we're going to send to seven cities in Asia Minor. Now, here's the thing. You can visit each of these seven cities today. As you can see on this map, they're located in modern-day Turkey, right on the coast of the Aegean Sea, about 200 miles south of Istanbul. And you notice the seven cities form like a horseshoe going around clockwise, starts at Ephesus, ends up in Laodicea. That is the ancient Roman postal route. So this is literally like, why are in this order? They're actually the mail route. And so in other words, Jesus says, I'm going to dictate these letters, and then John, you're going to deliver them. So that's what we're going to do. Every week, we're going to open this mailbox and take out one letter and read one of them. Now, I got to warn you, okay? Uh, these are Jesus' letters, but you, I just, I just, they're not what you think, right? People are like, oh, a love letter from Jesus, you know? All sweet and lovey-dovey. All right, let me, let me open this one up. This one says, um, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like what? Blazing fire. So, so these are words of heat. They're words of intensity. Remember when G John first sees Jesus in his glory in chapter one, what happens? He almost drops dead. He has this hard time describing what he saw. He's like, I, I see Jesus and his, his hair is white as wool and, and he's got fire in his eyes. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth, okay? Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, read chapter one of Revelation. It's like a Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> Suffice to say, this is not the Jesus you and I typically imagine in our mind's eye. When we read of Jesus in the gospel, most people think of like, oh, a baby in a manger 
or a humble carpenter washing feet, or even the wounded Christ on the cross. But this is a revelation. It's an unveiling of Jesus Christ as you and I will see him next when he returns. Majestic, glorified, all-powerful with the heat of a thousand nuclear reactors pouring off him, okay? Now, so his words are hot. These are going to be hot words, okay? It's because he's going to be like, all right, this church I commend and that one I'm condemning. Some he rewards while others he rebukes. Jesus points out the things they're doing well and convicts where they're falling short. And let me tell you something. This image of Jesus giving his personal thumbs up or a thumbs down is super intense. So every week we're going to open one letter and ask this question. What's Jesus saying to this church? And then we'll ask a scary question. What's he saying to ours? I mean, imagine if Jesus wrote a letter to Liquid Church in New Jersey today, what would he tell us? What would he say about our passion for God, about our perseverance in trials? Would, would his words bring reward, like, great job, guys, or rebuke? Come on, you guys are compromising with the culture. This series, again, couldn't be more relevant for the times that we're living in. Uh, right now, our world is in a state of cultural chaos, right, of global upheaval. These are turbulent times, increasingly hostile to Christianity. And people often ask me, say, you know, Tim, do you think, you know, is God still speaking today? Oh, yeah, I believe he is. The real question is, are we listening? Are, are you listening? Can you hear what the Spirit is saying? That's a phrase you're going to see over and over again repeated in these letters. I'll open up another one. This one says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. So, so the Holy Spirit is speaking today. And can you hear that? I believe we're living in the last days, the end times before the return of Jesus Christ. And his words of warning and hope are more relevant today even than they were in the first century. So I want you for a moment just to open the ears of your heart and invite the Spirit to speak. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, come. We know you're speaking. If there's a communication problem, it's on my end. God, I can't hear so quicken us now. Holy Spirit, open our ears so that we may hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, these letters that I'm holding, some are like, wow, those are, those, are, those are cool. Where are they from? Uh, these are actually ripped right out of the pages of your group's guide. I see some of you walking in today with group's guide. Did you pick up a study guide for the series? Uh, our creative team, we compiled these seven letters into this cool group's guide. It's got background notes, discussion questions in it. So you can follow along with your small group over the next seven weeks. Now, if you haven't picked up a group's guide yet, you can today after the service in the lobby at your campus. But I want to encourage you to bring this group's guide on Sunday. Bring it actually to the service with you because uh, we left room for sermon notes. We're not doing sermon notes. You can write them in action here. Uh, secondly, read God's word for yourself during the week. Um, I'm going to encourage you to read the first three chapters of Revelation. Now, that's important to clarify. We're not going through the entire book. We're not reading like all 22 chapters, just the first three. So understand what that means. We're not going to like have a debate about like the end times, you know, don't email me, you know, Tim, is Donald Trump the Antichrist? Don't email me that stuff, okay? <laughs> don't. Don't post on Facebook either, okay? It's not helpful, people. Uh, most importantly, bring your, your guide to your small group where you're going to get to discuss and share and pray together. What is God teaching? What are you learning? I, my prayer is that like Jesus is going to speak like directly to you personally to you, and he's going to breathe fresh fire into your faith, especially if it's grown like cold or complacent. Because anyone reading these leaders, uh, letters from Jesus, I'm, tell, I'm just telling you, I've, you're going to feel the heat as they, they've, they've warmed me up for sure, and I'm praying it's going to set our church on fire. So let's dive in. You guys ready? 
You ready to do it? All right, let's open letter one, okay? Jesus' letter to Ephesus, and we call this the forgetful church. I'm on page four and five of the guide. And you notice we have an orange box. It gives you a little snapshot of the city. Ephesus was a metropolis, home to about a quarter million people, fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. Um, and it actually can visit there today. They have gorgeous, beautiful ruins that you can visit. Uh, yeah, take a look. Put it back up on the screen. Um, it was home to the great temple of Artemis. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So you had like the pyramids of Egypt, the hanging gardens of Babylon. And uh, in, in Ephesus was really the commercial center of Asia Minor in the first century. It was right on the coast. So it had a seaport. It was considered the gateway to Asia. Envision a city like Los Angeles or Hong Kong, right? Right on the coast. The people there were cosmopolitan. They were well-educated. Ephesus had one of the largest libraries in the world and actually a 24,000-seat theater. Okay, so that's bigger than Madison Square Garden. Why, why do I tell you all this? So that you understand this is not some rural church in some little redneck town, okay? The, the, the Ephesian church was influential and played a major role in the early Jesus movement. It was known actually as the mother church in Asia Minor, which is why Jesus says, I'm going to write the first letter to that. He writes this. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the what? The seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. If you're listening via podcast, I got seven stars hanging behind me. You can see them right there. And again, that's because Revelation, it's called apocryphal, uh, apocalyptic literature, I should say. Apocalyptic, meaning having to do with the end of the world, but a lot of weird symbols. You have to be like, what does that mean? Like seven stars, what is that? You always find out the Bible explains it. In, in chapter one, Jesus said, here's what the stars represent. The seven stars are the angels or messengers of the seven churches. In other words, the seven stars are basically the messenger, the people who read the word. It's the, probably the pastor of the local church. And he says, I'm going to give a letter. You give it to the star, not that they're like an all-star, but like the person who's going to deliver the message and they read it out loud to the congregation, okay? And so Jesus says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. There's another symbol, right? A lampstand. That's just a symbol for the church. Why is the church called a lamp? Because what does it do? It lights up. It puts a light into a very dark culture, okay? So Jesus says, I'm walking among the seven golden lampstands, which is a little bit scary because it means Jesus is walking among his church. He's taking notes. He's watching. He's observing. He's evaluating. What's going well? I'm inspecting the fruit here. How is each one doing? See, although every church has its own local pastor, Jesus, best way to put it is Jesus is the CEO, okay? Jesus is the original founder, owner, operator, president of the church, and he alone has the right to give it a job review. It's kind of like that TV show, Undercover Boss. You guys ever see Undercover Boss? Anyone see that? Right? You know the premise, right? So typically what happens is they take like a business, might be like a fast food business, and they get the president or CEO of the company, and they come down from the boardroom, take off their suit, put on like the everyday work clothes of the guy on the front line, and they go through kind of seeing how things work. In this one episode, they had like the CEO of Taco Bell. It might have been Chipotle. I get him like mixed up. It was the CEO, and so he takes off his suit, and he puts on a hairnet and a little goatee, and he goes and makes, you know, burritos, you know, for a week with like, and it's, it's, it's hilarious because the college kid next to him who's making minimum wage is like, that's not how you fold a chalupa, dude, like this, man, you know. And so he's like teaching the, pre the president's like, oh, okay, you know. And because the kid doesn't know he's talking to the boss, right? 
And at the end of the show, there's a revelation. They call in the employee, you know, the headquarters, he sits down, and the CEO comes in, no hair, not, no goatee, his suit back on, and all of a sudden it's like, surprise! Guess who's been working alongside you this whole time, right? And their eyes go wide because they suddenly dawns on them, like, holy smokes, the most powerful person in the organization has been watching my every move, weighing my words. They're like, you know, was I harsh to the customers, or was I kind? Uh, did I slack that day, kind of phone it in, or was I very careful in my work? Uh, so I want you to imagine this. The president, the CEO, sits down across the table. He looks you in the eye, and he says four shocking words. I know your deeds. That's what Jesus says. I know. I've been watching. I have seen everything. I've been observing, evaluating, and I've been sitting in your meetings, church. I've been listening in on your team huddles this morning. I see the way you serve. I saw you at night to shine. I stopped by the nursery today. I, I was listening to the singing. I, I saw what you put in the offering. I, saw, I heard you out in the parking lot. I heard your words of encouragement and your words of gossip. Jesus says, I know, church, your deeds. I see everything. Guys, this is undercover boss to the extreme. Jesus is about to give a job review to his church in Ephesus. He's like, here's my evaluation of your work. Are you ready? Because there's some positives and some negatives. There's some things to celebrate and commend you for, and there's some broken stuff that you need to fix. And like a good boss, he begins with the positive, right? If you're a manager or something, you guys know, when you give a performance review, what, how do you start, right? You highlight all the positive. Here's what's going well, and Jesus says, okay, here's the first thing. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, that you found them false. You have persevered and have, let's say this together, endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Now, just stop and look at the list Jesus gives because there's a lot to like about this church, right? He's like, you guys work hard, you persevere, you, you, you hold fast to the truth, you don't follow, you don't follow false teaching because there were a lot of false teaching in the early church. You endure hardships. If you were to sum up Ephesus, you might write the word endurance, you can write that in your notes. What's endurance? Endurance is when you stick with something that's like really hard or uncomfortable and you're tempted to quit, but you push through, right? You stick with it. You just kind of push through even when you don't feel like it. Have you ever had like a tough job, uh, you know, that you're like, man, I just, I would quit if I didn't have to, you know, if I didn't have to pay the bills or something, you know, I have to push through to payday. Or if you're in school and you've taken a difficult class, you're like, physics is kicking my butt, but I have to take it to graduate. So you understand you got to endure. It is this, this strength of soul. It's this quality of character that Jesus commends. It reminds me of Cal Ripken. You guys know Cal Ripken, baseball player, also known as the Iron Man? He was a shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles in the 80s and 90s. He set the major league record of playing 17 straight seasons and never missing a game. So, like, when was your, like, last sick day, okay? Cal Ripken, over 2,000 games, he suited up 17 years straight. Do you know what that means? That means that Cal played some days when he was hurt. That, that means that he played when he didn't feel like it sometimes. It means he kind of sucked it up and pushed through, and Cal Ripken endured, and he became a legend. In 1995, he actually broke Lou Gehrig's record of consecutive games played. It stood for 56 years. And even us Yankee fans who hate the Orioles, 
We had to tip our cap to Cal and we just admit, that's endurance in the physical world. But see, there's a parallel in the spiritual world. Guys, any church, let me let you in a secret. Any church that has a run of good health, that is like, it's growing, it is spiritually vital, it's vibrant, it's alive, and it has a lasting impact. If you go, if you have any church that does it for 10, 20, 30, 50 years straight, here's what I know. At that core, that church has a team of people who endure, who persevere. They have this team of iron men and iron women who say, you know what, I'm going to play even when I don't feel like playing. I'm going to serve even when I don't feel like serving. I don't feel like mentoring middle schools today, but I'm showing up. <laughs> I'm going to lead even when it's hard and I'm tempted to throw in the towel. I think like, you know, when I think like endurance, I think like the roadies teams at our campuses, you know, who like, who like arrive early like 4 a.m. They set up an auditorium Sunday after Sunday after Sunday at all our campuses. They're like, I'm going to push through and sacrifice all for the name of Jesus Christ. Guys, that's the church at Ephesus. These guys left it all out on the field, and Christ commends them. He's like, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. You've persevered. You've endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Now, you may wonder and say, well, Tim, what, what exactly did they endure? What hardships did they go through? Well, for one, Jesus says this in verse 2. He says, I know that you cannot tolerate who? Say that together. Wicked people. Can I let you in on another secret? Not everybody who comes to church is an angel. Okay? When Jesus started the church, he didn't say, Behold, I'm creating a museum for saints. He said, I'm creating a hospital for sinners. But here's a problem. Some of them still act like it. <laughs> All right? And that's a challenge because it means that to protect the sheep, you have to constantly guard against wolves. That means you have to have these draining conversations that end up with this awkward phrase, I'm so sorry, I know this is awkward, but we don't do that here, okay? We've had hundreds of those conversations over the last 10 years. For, for example, it's a conversation uh, with an older guy, you know, who comes to our church and, and he, he, you know, follows a young woman into the parking lot after the service, right, to her car, and then he hits on her. He thinks he's being friendly, and she's like, I'm being stalked, <laughs> right? Guess what your campus leaders get to do next week? They have the glorious privilege of having an awkward conversation that says, I'm so sorry. I know this is awkward, but we don't do that here. This is Jesus' church, not a singles bar. How do you think they respond to that? Thank you for that rebuke, brother. I receive that. And <laughs> not so much. That's where, that's where you go, oh, I see. They're driving sheep away. No, we're guarding wolves and we're keeping wolves away, okay? See, we have grace and understanding for all sorts of stuff, but we don't do that here. We don't tolerate that stuff. Let me tell you, we've had dozens of those kind of conversations over the last 10 years, and it's exhausting. It's draining. It's awkward. It's hard. But the people of Ephesus, were, they had leaders of integrity and said, we're going to have the hard conversations to set boundaries and keep this church super healthy and honoring Christ. They, they had mature female leaders, women who were willing to take younger women aside and say, hey, I know um, when you, you think you're just showing concern when you say, hey, let's pray for so-and-so because she's going through such and such. It's really gossip, <laughs> uh, but we don't do that here. It, it, it needs to stop. Christ demands better. Do you remember what Paul taught us? Paul was their pastor for three years in the beginning, and Paul wrote him a letter. He said, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for what? Building others up so that it may benefit those 
who listen. They had women leaders who said, you know what, I, we don't tolerate gossip in this church. We don't tolerate stalking or stealing or sexual deviance. All the stuff that our culture considers normal, we don't do that here. Guys, I just tell you, those kind of conversations are never fun. <laughs> they're exhausting. They're just the knowledge that you have to have when it's emotionally draining. But they're the right thing to do if you want a healthy church that endures. You know, I look back on the last decade at Liquid, and I hope Jesus would say the same about us. You have persevered. You've endured hardship for my name, and you've not grown weary. That's what Undercover Boss said to the Ephesian church. <laughs> he sat down. I imagine Jesus clapping his hands like, I am so proud of you, Ephesians. I know that you don't tolerate wicked people. You reject false teachers. You guard against wolves. You, you've set the boundaries. You've protected the flock and my reputation. Well done. So far, their job review is glowing. Do you notice up to verse 3, there's a long list of things to celebrate. But, there's always a but, isn't there? Right? But, Jesus says, before you give yourself a promotion, <laughs> before you start patting yourself on your back, there's, uh, how do I say this? There's um, just one thing that troubles me. There's one thing I've noticed. In verse 4, he says, yet, I hold this against you. Let's say these words and let the, the weight of it hit us. Ready? You have forsaken the love you had at first. Oops. Wait, you mean it's possible to come to church, to be committed to the Bible, to serve faithfully, to follow all the rules for righteous living, and yet lose your love for Jesus? Yep. See, the church of Ephesus was not a new church plant. It's 30 years old at this point. The original founders had died off. So this is their second generation, their kids. It's their third generation, their grandkids. And while they inherited from their parents this passion for the truth, somewhere along the line, that original flame for Christ that had burned bright and hot, what happened? As the righteous brothers would have sang, you lost that Love, come on, don't hang me out to dry. <laughs> you lost that love and feeling. Whoa, that, oh, I love it. Ephesus was full of pagans too. That's good. You guys know the song. Oh, God. <laughs> See, this is the danger, guys. For those of you who have been following Christ for a while, maybe you're on your second or third decade following Jesus. If I said right now, raise your hand if you've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40, 50 years, some of you would, would be here and you'd be like, that's me. You'd be like, I grew up in a Christian home. <laughs> I'm third, fourth generation Christian. I've gone to church my whole life. <laughs> I volunteered in ministry. Maybe you donated your time. You donated your money. You've served on committees. You helped build the church. You've gone on mission trips. You're like, seen it all, done it all. I'm Cal Ripken. I have endured. <laughs> I'm a seasoned saint. And Jesus sits across the table from you and he says, well done, but watch out. Because sometimes when your faith grows old, if you're not careful, your heart grows cold. Can you see this? If you're watching or listening online. This is a heart encased in a block of ice. And it is real. I mean it. Like I cut out a human heart of someone's body. No, I just said, <laughs> that would be weird. What did I walk into, right? Sometimes when your faith grows older, your love grows colder. Isn't that true in relationships? I mean, Ephesians, Jesus says, you guys are awesome, but I have one problem. You have a major heart issue. 
somewhere along the way, your warm, tender heart, the affection you had for your Savior Jesus. Think of this. The Lord, your crucified King and coming Savior, somewhere your faith got older and your heart turned colder. And Jesus says, I'm holding this against you. You've forsaken your first love, me. Now, let's just be honest. Honest moment, can we do it? This happens to all of us, doesn't it, at some point? in spiritual journey, I'll be honest. I'll go first. I'm the leader. I mean, I, I'm reading that this week and, and, and praying about it. And that accusation of Jesus hit me right in the heart. Because I had to ask, I was like, God, is that me, if I'm honest? I mean, I'm like, I grew up in a Christian home. <laughs> I attended a Christian college. If I'm saying I'm a pastor at a Christian church, right? I spend most of my week, you know, studying the Bible, preparing messages and serving people, visiting the hospital, uh, leading outreaches. But I had to ask myself, do I do it because I have to? Like out of cold duty and obligation, like, well, it's just my job. Or do I do it because I get to? I, I want to. I'm, I'm still, <laughs> 30 years later, madly in love with Jesus. And his radical love has like so infused and penetrated my heart that just kind of spills out onto other people. Guys, that's a gut check for all of us, isn't it? Because most days, I can, I, there are days that I wake up and I can absolutely say before God, I say, yes, yeah. My heart is warm and it is tender and it's affectionate for God and his people. And, and God's grace is amazing. I can't believe he accepts a sinner like me and he, he gives me gifts and allows me to use them to you know, expand his kingdom. Some mornings, though, I wake up, and my heart is cold as ice. That's what happened to Ephesus. Somewhere along the way, they fell in love with their good works and with sound Bible teaching, but their passion for Christ grew cold. Outwardly, you would never notice because they were, just, they were going through the motions, right? You can't tell these things. They did all the right things on the outside, but on the inside, just like you got a major heart issue as your faith Grow, grows old, your heart's growing cold. So can I ask, has yours? Do we have a, can I ask you that as your pastor? I'm talking to older believers. Again, sometimes we, if you're here today, you're not a Christian, you're like exploring Christianity, that is awesome. You're thrilled you're here. We're not, I'm not talking to you right now. You keep exploring, listening. What is, what's God saying? If you're a brand new believer, I'm not talking to you. If you're a brand new believer, I saw someone as I walked in, you know, you're like, I got baptized in the fall. I got my t-shirt on, I'm handing out bulletins. You're on fire right? You're there. I'm talking now to some of the seasoned saints for a moment. Those of us who've been walking with Christ a long time, year after year, you've been faithful. But if you admit, if you had an honest moment, you'd be like, that's me. I think I've lost my first love. and My heart has grown cold. I mean, how do you know if you have a cold heart? I can think of three symptoms. The first is you find yourself growing complacent. You know what complacent means? It means just kind of going through the motions, right? Whether at, you know, a church or, you know, reading the Bible or singing songs or you serve because, well, that's what a good Christian does, but the reality is your heart's not in it. I, I see this in worship sometimes. I'm guilty of it. Again, I, I include myself. Sometimes when I sing songs, let me take you back. If you've been a believer over like, you know, 10 years, okay? Can you remember the first time you heard the words of amazing grace and like it dawned on you what grace was? <laughs> like, I'm dead in my sin. Christ took all of my sin, paid for all of it, and now there's just the love and favor of God poured out in my life. And you sang Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, and it brought tears to your eyes. You remember that moment? You remember that? 
It actually made you cry. It hit you so deeply and real in the heart. And now you hear, we're singing Amazing Grace, and you're like, yeah, it does nothing for me. It's just, you know, old, not a favorite. It's dusty. It's a little bit dry. I wish we did something new, right? Was there a moment in your past, long-time believers, you can recall that, when the spiritual flame burned hot and bright? You had to tell other people about Jesus, what he was doing in your life. But if it's honest right now, it's barely flickering. See, that's the danger of a faith growing old. A heart can grow cold and complacent and casual in your relationship with Christ. Again, this happens naturally. You see it for couples, those of you in relationships, men and women, right? You know what happens, right? You remember your first love, right? When you're dating, right? It's all passion and romance and flowers, right? And then, but after 5 or 10, 20, 30 years of marriage, the romance cools. That's, that's the danger because couples stop doing the little things. They stop treating each other with, you know, the, the special care. They become casual. The romance cools. They become more like roommates than lovers. Same thing in your relationship with Jesus. I just acknowledge this, guys. Some of us treat Jesus like a buddy, college buddy, you know? Like, well, I'll call him, you know, I'll ring him up once in a while, you know, if I need a hand moving or something, you know. Guys, Revelation is screaming at us. It's like, Jesus is not your buddy. He's your all-powerful Lord, conquering king who says, I demand your whole life. I'm asking you to pick up your cross and follow me daily. Surrender everything to me. See, if you don't correct that casual attitude, you will eventually compromise with the world. If your love for Jesus grows cool, sooner or later, your affections will be drawn to something else. And the culture has plenty of options. You will start craving the buffet that our world offers, all the idols. Did you know, what was the number one business in Ephesus? Anybody know? Idol making. (laughs) That was the number one business. They made these little statues of, of Artemis or Diana and sold them by the thousands. I'm like, that's America. (laughs) That's America. We are an idol factory, right? There's all these things for you guys, you know this, that cry out for our attention and our affections. Money, power, prestige, uh, sex, fame. They can even be good things. Home decorating, (laughs) you know? HGTV, Uh, you know, travel, social media, you know? That is the trick, guys. Even good things can become idols. Did you know that? Your family. For me, it's the church. Like, is the church an idol? Is ministry an idol? Something becomes an idol whenever your love for it supersedes your love for Jesus. That's the hard part about idolatry. Idolatry is when you turn a good thing into an ultimate thing, and now your life revolves around it. And Christ gets a second seat. You forsake your first love. Christ becomes secondary, and your heart grows cold, complacent, casual. You compromise. Can I just ask, does this describe anybody that you know? Does it describe you? It's convicting, isn't it? This is a question you're going to wrestle with in your small groups this week. I'm going to encourage you to be honest. You're going to answer this question. It's on page 8 of the group's guide. Has there been a time when you may have forsaken your first love for Christ and his people? What contributed? Do any of these resonate with you? And look at these three statements. I grew bored. I lost interest in following God and serving the church. That was me in my teens. Like I, like, I filled in all the blanks. I'm like, yep, got it done. Or maybe this one, number two. I was wounded. Someone hurt me in the past, and I'm leery of it happening again. Let me tell you something. We have dozens of wounded people in this church who, who they, they didn't encounter Christ in their previous church. They encountered dead religion. 
Because a church without love is lethal. It becomes about legalism. Just cold, and it's about following all these rules and stand up, sit down. It's full of rituals. And then the church becomes infected, full of judgmental and controlling people who when they see a wounded person, what do they do? Boom, right? The church shoots its wounded like nothing else in this world. Maybe that's you, and you're like, that's, that's where I started losing heart. Or I became distracted by something else. I just got busy. My schedule's full of good things, but I don't make time to pursue the best things, loving God and serving people. If that describes you, don't despair. I'm not trying to guilt you. Drifting happens. It actually is normal for all believers at some point in their spiritual journey. It is natural if you have walked with Jesus Christ for a while, but don't lose hope. Because Jesus said, I'm holding this against you, but listen, it is never too late to return to your first love. Remember, the CEO, the president, he's sitting across from the Ephesian church. He says, you guys do so many things well. You work hard, you persevere, you endure, you, don't, you, you guard the wolves, you don't let in false teachers, but you lost your heart for me, but it's not too late to get it back. How do you get it back according to Jesus? Verse five, here's what he says. Consider how far you've fallen, let's say it together. Repent, again, just again, again. Repent and do the things you did at first. You guys remember what repent means? Repent literally means you're going this direction. We stop, turn around, do a 180, and go back to where you started. That's what repent means. It means you, you go back and you do the things when you first came to faith in Jesus Christ. I was trying to explain this to like our staff, but I was like, I can't just explain it. I got to like mess with them a little bit, you know? So we had a staff meeting this week, and I'm like, okay, guys, I'm going to give this message a revelation. It's very convicting to me. I just wanted to share with them. I said, so let's talk about Revelation. Oh, I said to our staff, time out. Before I do, it's February, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, it's February. I'm like, does that mean, uh, what, what's coming up? And then, you know, a couple of women were like, Valentine's Day. I was like, oh, that's right, <laughs> Valentine's Day. And so my assistant, Janet, is sitting there. I said, Janet, uh, can you just, like, order some flowers for my wife or something for Valentine's Day? Uh, and she's like, uh, okay, you know. And, and I, was, I was like, spend, like, uh, uh, you know, 30 bucks. Well, we've been married 18 years. 40 bucks. All right, go big. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, you know, write something, get a card. I don't have time to get a card. Get a card and write something like mushy. She loves sweet, like mushy stuff. And then just sign my name, make sure she gets it by the 14th. All right, cool, good. Okay, Revelation, guys. And we're sitting there and literally like half the staff is like, <gasps> their jaws like hit the floor. I saw Steve Klein and, and I go, Steve, w w what's the matter? And he just goes, ah. Uh. He goes, I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem that romantic, <laughs> Right? I'm like, Steve, are you judging me? You know, that's very Christian of you. He goes, it just kind of, I don't know. He goes, it doesn't seem like your heart is in it, you know? I look at Nith and I'm like, what do you think? Nithin's like, I wish I had an assistant. That is amazing, <laughs> you know? Right? Hilarious. We go around, Kyra's sitting there. I'm like, Kyra, what do you think? And she's like, I don't judge where you get the flowers. As long as I get flowers, I'm happy, you know? She's like, <laughs> they quickly realized I was joking, right, to make a point. Of course I buy my own flowers for my wife, right? On Valentine's Day, of course I write my own words of love for, for my wife. In fact, sometimes on Valentine's Day, I even write poetry. It's, it's bad poetry. It's not, own, <laughs> not it's a gift, a gift. Uh, but I write it anyway. Why? Because I don't want our marriage to get cold and die so I do the things I did at first. Those of you in a relationship, again, for, for a long time, do you remember your first love, what you did? When I first started courting Colleen in college, I would buy her flowers every fourth Friday. 
because there was a 7-Eleven right by our dorm that on Fridays you could get a mini bouquet of little mini roses for five bucks. I'm like, that is genius. This is a fine retail shopping establishment. I'm going to get my bouquet. Five bucks. I didn't have money for a card, so I would actually write her poetry. It was bad poetry. But I didn't care because I'd like, you know, get, you know, slip into her dorm, you know, room. And she'd cherish every word. She'd keep a little shoebox of it, right? That's when we were dating. I, I didn't think anything. Like drive two hours to see her on break, pfft, no problem. I'm in New Jersey. She's in upstate New York. I would drive that four hours round trip in a heartbeat. Why? It wasn't like a duty, I have to do this. It was a delight. I was wooing her. Here's the problem, I won her. Let that sink in. <laughs> we are now almost 20 years into marriage, and the moment I start outsourcing our relationship, Janet, order flowers for me, going through the motions, phoning it in, neglecting the little things I did at first, that's the day our relationship dies. You understand that? It's dead. It's on ice. That's the danger of your relationship with Christ. When faith grows older, your heart can grow colder. And Jesus says, you have to repent, turn around, and do the things you did at first, which essentially means you need to chip away at it. Whatever it takes, you have to chip away if your passion for Christ has cooled. You have to go back and do the things you did when you first believed, like your first 15. Remember a couple weeks ago I challenged you? I was like, take the first 15 minutes of your day, and you make sure you meet with Jesus Christ. Some of you, it was so easy when you were first saved. You're like, Jesus is real. He loves me. I can't imagine not spending time with him. There is no substitute for spending the first part of your day in the presence of the Lord. You have to open the Bible and say, speak to me and allow his, invite his wisdom into your soul. You have to guard that first 15 minutes. Some of you have been doing that. You're like, I, I talked to a guy in the lobby. He's like, man, that first 15 is changing my life. It's coming back. I feel my heart coming back. I mean, chip away at it. I mean, you have to devote time to weekly worship. I don't mean, just mean like, you, you know, the first, you know, make sure you sing three songs on Sunday. Check. I don't mean that. I mean your personal worship. Go to worship night. Find some new music that you like, Bethel, Elevation, whatever. Load up your, you know, your iPod of songs, and then you sing. You sing when you're in the shower. You sing when you're in the car. You chip away at it because the heart that worships Jesus gets close to Jesus. You may have to do some things, some practices like fasting. Remember, we, were you here when we did that 21-day fast? We did a 21-day fast at church that people still talk about. We, we did the Daniel fast for 21 days, three weeks, we said, we're not going to eat sweets, we're not going to eat meats, we're just going to eat fruits and vegetables like Daniel did. Why? Because fasting, it's a physical practice, you give something up for a spiritual purpose. And there are people who are like, that was like the most alive, vibrant I have ever had my relationship with God. Because what happens is when you deny the flesh for some time, you get a hunger for God. So, so maybe you're going to fast for the next six weeks, you're going to be like, you know what? The rest of seven, I'm going to chip away at it. I'm going to fast, I'm going to fast, not from food, I'm going to fast from social media. I'm going to fast from binging on Netflix <gasps> and fill up my heart with the word of God. Fast. Serve. That's the best way to get your eyes off yourself. You serve somebody else who needs help and encouragement. So you say, you know, I'm going to be a mentor to a middle schooler. I'm not just going to serve at night to shine. I'm going to sign up and be a special needs buddy and commit to it. It doesn't even happen to be in our, in our church. Like, you may just be like, you know, the, my, my coworker who's in the hospital Maybe I'm just going to actually go visit them and pray with them and minister the presence of Jesus, not because I have to, but because I get to. Not out of duty, but out of delight. I am going to start chipping away and serving 
And this is the key, guys. This is the key to chipping away. Don't wait for your heart to feel like it. You have to take action, and then your emotions follow. This is the secret. Follow this. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, um, I want you to go back and feel the things you felt at first. Uh Uh-uh. What's he say? Do the things you did at first. In other words, emotion follows action. Don't wait until you feel like fasting. You will never feel like fasting. (laughs) Take action. Go back and do the things you did at first, and your heart will follow. That is how you thaw a heart for God. And Jesus says, it is never too late. He says, Ephesians, come back to me. Let me take your heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. Guys, Jesus is making the same invitation to you right now. It is never too late to repent and return to your first love. In fact, if you want, if you want to do that, I was like, we got to do this right now at the start of the series because the stakes couldn't be higher. Jesus gives this final warning in verse 5. He says, listen, listen. If you do not repent, I will come to you and what? Remove your lampstand from its place. Translation, church, if you don't put your heart into it, it's lights out. I will shut this church down. I mean, he's, Jesus says this to Ephesus. He says, you're the biggest, most influential church in Asia Minor. I will shut the doors of this thing. And you will no longer be a witness for this community. Whoa. This, guys, is a word of warning from the CEO of the church. See, as the original founder, owner, operator, only Jesus Christ has the authority to turn off the lights and remove it from its lampstand. So I'm reading that this week, and I'm like, whoa, intense. You know what dawned on me? What is Jesus saying? No church is permanent. A church without love is lethal. And Christ is like, I love people too much, those who are perishing, to let a lethal church run wild and hurt people. I won't have a religious club. When love leaves the building, so does the Spirit of God. And that's a warning to us, isn't it, right? In fact, in your group's guide this week, you're going to answer this on page 7. We wrote this. Liquid Church is going to be 10 years old in 2017. Based on the passage we've read, what's the warning for churches like Liquid? Is our lampstand in New Jersey permanent? Why or why not? So I did a little research. If you visit Ephesus today, you will see gorgeous ruins, just beautiful. No churches. There is no lasting Christian witness in Turkey, in that region. That's a very sobering thought. So, so listen to what the Spirit is saying. Jesus ends, he says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who's victorious, I will give the right to eat from the what? Tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Tree, tree of life, circle that phrase. Where, it's weird, where have we heard that before? Genesis, we're in the last book of the Bible, and Jesus says, let's go back to the very first in Genesis, to God's paradise, where your parents, Adam and Eve, unfortunately, lost their heart for God, and they disobeyed, and sin entered, and wrecked the world, and Jesus says, guess what, I'm coming back, and I'm making all things new, a new creation, when I return in holiness and judgment, I'm bringing a new heaven, a new earth, and you are a new creation because anyone who receives my love and returns their love for me, they will have the right to eat of the tree of life. In other words, paradise with God forever. 
That's your future. Jesus says, I'm coming like a, a, a groom for his bride to take her way to paradise. The letter ends with a lavish reward. Do you, I'm going to stab myself with this. I'm going to put that down right there. In the TV series, Undercover Boss, you know how the episode ends? It's always with a reward. The, the, the president or the CEO reveals himself, right, and sits down across the employee, and then, you know, here's the commendations, here's the things you need to correct. Then guess what he does? He gives the most faithful employee this unexpected lavish reward. I right, saw so one episode where it was a single mom, you know, who was struggling with her kids, uh, making ends meet, but she, like, totally put her heart in it, arrived early, stayed late, all that, and the president says, surprise, I'm setting up a scholarship fund. All your kids are going to college. Paid, she smells. Uh, there, there was a guy who was working overtime to support his family, and the president, you know, sits before and he says, I'm sending your family on an all-expense-paid vacation. This one episode, I think it was like Baja Fresh or something, the owner of this restaurant saw a guy working, you know, the line, just making chalupas, whatever. He goes, I see your hard work, and he didn't even graduate high school, and he says, I'm giving you your own franchise because I see potential in you. You are faithful, and you endure, and I want you part of this. He ends the episode rewarding the most engaged, faithful workers. That's how Jesus ends his job review of the church in Ephesus. To the one who's victorious, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life. It's better than a bonus. Jesus says, when you come back to your first love and you chip away and you patiently endure and you get your heart back and you keep it close to Christ, Christ says, the best is yet to come. Is your heart ready for me? How, how is your heart today? Can I end by asking that? Like really honestly, heart check. You could say here today, yeah, you know what, Tim? My heart, <laughs> it's a great warning, but it's alive and it's warm and it's beating and it's tender to the things of God. And, I, and I, the love of Jesus is fresh in my life and it's, my, my love for others is fresh. I know there's some of you who would say that, but there are others of you who would say, if I'm honest, it's grown cold. It's complacent. But it's not too late to get it back. This is a chance to repent and return to your first love. Can you say repent and return? Return to the things you did at first. In other words, come back to the cross to where it all began. Look at Jesus on the cross. The Father sends the Son, and he says, I'm going to die in your place for all your sins and cancel them. In other words, you have no more guilt, shame. I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit. I was raised from that. I'm filling you with my, my breath. I'm giving you eternal life. Turn around and come back. Come home. Come back to Christ. And that's what I said. We got to start the series by doing that. We got to go back to where it all began. And so I want to do that by giving you a chance to talk to him right now. So would you just bow your head right now? Just all our campuses. We're going to have a little moment of prayer. Just be quiet. Just kind of quiet moment. Let's just have an honest talk with your Savior chance to do business with God, come clean with him. Just be quiet, quiet your heart down for a minute. As you're quieting your heart, we're praying. I'm going to ask a question. What is Jesus saying to you right now? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart? Are you cold? Complacent? Just confess that. Tell Christ. He wrote this letter so you would come home to him.
Father, right now I pray for every man, woman, and child in our church, at all of our campuses. Holy Spirit, show us the ways we've grown cold to you. In this moment, you might even pray these words, Jesus, help me turn from my idols and return to you, my first love. You can pray, Jesus, forgive me for growing cold. Replace my heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Thank you for loving me, dying for my sins, giving me life. I want to love you and serve you with all my heart. So fill it fresh with your spirit today. In Jesus' name. Now, one of the ways that we repent and return to Christ is by celebrating communion or the Lord's Supper, sometimes called the Eucharist. And we're going to do that today as our worship band leads us in a a final song. Communion really takes us back to the moment it all began, right? It was the night before Jesus died on the cross. He said to his father, he says, you're going to celebrate communion as a way of remembering and reconnecting with the sacrifice I'm about to make on the cross for your sin." So our ushers are going to pass down the cups right now. Would you go ahead, ushers, and pass them down? Take one, pass it down your row. And I'm going to ask you to hold on to it as we sing. Because we're going to clear a little space again just to get our heart in a posture of worship and repentance to Christ. And then your campus leader is going to come back and we'll all receive communion together. So just stay seated, all our campuses. As we distribute the cup, use this time just to sing, to pray, worship Jesus from the heart as we come to his table.